the first time I did this for my fellow comics, when I stood there at the mic and I told them that I had stage four metastatic breast cancer, I did get the comment, that's not funny. And I just flat out said, look, neither is divorce, breakups, getting old or being fat, but people poke fun at that too. Comics are allowed to. It's my reality. And this is how I choose to deal with it. I broke the ice with them after that. When I told them, I said, look, I've got stage four metastatic breast cancer. And that brings a whole new meaning to the phrase, I've got killer tits. <laughs> Welcome to the RMBC Life podcast from Share Cancer Support, dedicated to exploring life with metastatic breast cancer from the perspective of us the people living with this disease, and the experts who partner with us to help make our lives better. I'm Lisa Laudico, and I'm really glad you're here, since no one should face NBC alone. everyone, welcome to the final episode of Season 5, where we ask the simple question, is laughter actually a good form of medicine? My name is Connor Kinsley, associate producer of the podcast, and I am so excited to bring this special episode to you. We've all heard the phrase, laughter is the best medicine, and there's plenty of scientific research out there that tries to prove it. And while the RNBC Life podcast is no stranger to diving into complicated scientific data, we wanted to take a different approach on this one. Rather than bring in several doctors who could intricately break down what humor does to your brain chemistry, we thought, why not get real funny people who have faced a cancer diagnosis and ask them what they think about humor as healing? No offense to any funny doctors out there. I'm joined by co-host and senior producer Victoria Goldberg. She's probably the funniest person on the RNBC Life team, so I was thrilled when she agreed to help me put this episode together. You'll now hear from Victoria as she introduces this episode's guests. Hello, friends. We have such a great episode for you with some hilarious guests. The woman you heard at the beginning is Elaine Price. She's been living with metastatic breast cancer for over three years and recently decided she wanted to become a stand-up comedian. We're also joined by Kevin Barnes, a musician, retired magician, pickleball player, and laughter yoga instructor. He was diagnosed with breast cancer, which led him to write a comedic musical in hopes of raising awareness about male breast cancer. But before hearing from them, we sat down with Jenny Saldana, an actress, comedian, an award-winning playwright from New York City. Her breast cancer diagnosis came early in her life and seemingly derailed her career in the arts. That is, until she started writing about it. So here is Jenny. Hi, I'm Jenny Saldana from New York City. I'm a 16-year breast cancer survivor. And one of my life's motto is, make them laugh. So before we get into comedy, why don't you tell us a little bit about your own personal experience with the breast cancer? Because it's important to all of us to know. Yes, absolutely. And thank you for letting me share. So I was considered a young survivor. I was diagnosed at 34 years old. I didn't have a family history. I didn't have the gene. So it took me about a year to get diagnosed. So when I was 33, I started having issues with my right breast and I, I, it started growing and it was getting hard and I kept going. And I was always told that I had very dense breast tissue and the dense breasts feel lumpy so that that should feel normal for me and to know what my normal was, but this wasn't feeling like my normal. So I kept going and getting checked and they kept telling me, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. You're just being very hormonal. And they kept checking me, but they were just like doing like 
ultrasounds or whatever. And they were just like saying, no, there's nothing wrong with you. And at one point I was told you can't keep coming back here and using up resources for women that really need it. You're taking up resources for other women who really need them. But I wasn't like on, on assistance. I was, I had insurance. I worked for Procter and Gamble at the time. So it was, it was really disheartening to be told that and to be told that basically thrown away. They, they said I didn't fit the profile. So it got to the point that my breast grew one cup size and I started having a nipple discharge. And when I went to have the nipple discharge checked, they said, if it's not bloody, we don't, we're not going to do anything about it. And I said, well, it's not happening on the other side. So I'm a little concerned that like, yeah, no, it's, it's fine. You're just, you're really young. So that's when I went somewhere else. And that's when I ended up at New York Presbyterian Hospital and they biopsied me. And then on January 4th, 2006, I was diagnosed with HER2 positive, ERPR negative breast cancer. I had grown a cup size because of the calcification because I had multiple tumors in the breast. So even though I was diagnosed at an earlier stage, I still ended up having to have a full mastectomy and tram reconstruction because there were multiple tumors. So I had that. Then I had to do chemotherapy. I did four rounds of Taxol. And then I did a year of... of Percept. Yeah. And here we are. And look at you. You're doing well. Yes. So far, so far, NED, as I like to say. And 17 years and counting NED. So thank you, Lord. All right. Well, this is a good way to start our conversation about the funny things. We're now we're moving on to funny things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that, Jenny. We appreciate it. And so I guess the second part of the question, that was kind of your background with your diagnosis, but we'd love to hear about your background with comedy and with acting. I mean, we read through the bio that you sent and looked online as well. And you've been in a lot of different productions and all kinds of things. So if you want to just start from the beginning and how you got involved in it and kind of how it led to where you are today. Well, I've been acting since I was at PS28 in Washington Heights. I'm one of those Heights girls, Heights before we started singing about it, okay? I'm from the Heights before we started singing about it. And and I started acting, theater and acting and show business has always been my passion. So I have my theater degree from the University of Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Then I moved back to New York. And I started doing extra work. I started doing theater work. I wrote a play called Dancing in the Mirror in 2001 that actually won an award for the National Latino Playwrights Festival that took place in Fort Worth, Texas. That won an award in 2003. Then I kept writing. I kept writing, like stop and writing and stop and writing and nothing was happening. I kept starting all these premises and nothing would happen of these premises. And so I, I just felt like I was a one hit wonder and I wasn't that big of a hit because I couldn't find anything else to to write about. I was like, I have no muses. This this sucks. You know? <laughs> and then lo and behold, 2006, I get diagnosed with breast cancer. And cancer. I told you that's a gift that keeps on giving. It does. It really, really does. It really just gave me so much to write about. I've always healed with humor. I make jokes when I'm uncomfortable. So that's how I deal with uncomfortable situations. So humor has always been what gets me through. I was just journaling when I was going through my cancer journey. And then I wrote this play called Hank, the Chronicles of BC Jenny. And BC is symbolic for both breast cancer and before cancer. And that's what the play is about before and after cancer. I struggled with finding who I was after cancer because I was so married to who I was before. So I wrote my play Pink and I got to tour colleges with it I all over the United States. And it was a blessing and it was and it was eye opening because this is where the, it, it, it's funny. It's, I mean, there are times that it isn't, but it is funny. And I found that in my community, in the Latin community, a lot of people were offended by the funny. 
And I find that anyone who's offended by cancer funny is a cancer civilian because anybody with cancer would be laughing with me. I actually had a woman come up to me and we performed it at the New York Poets Cafe, which was a dream come true for me. So I had a woman come up to me and apologize for the audience because she said, I love the story and I didn't laugh at you like they did. And I mm-hmm. said, I'm so sorry that you didn't laugh. So I, I, I find that it's, it's, it's an uncomfortable laughter. At first, right? But then... Like cancer then- civilians it is. I don't think it ever is for us. I think for the cancer civilians, it's very hard for them to hear us laugh about, like, I call myself the one-tit wonder and, you know, things like that. <laughs> well, it's not quite true. You had, you had a really good reconstruction. I did, but, you know, <laughs> technically, technically it's just a simile. So So someone like that, then like, what would you say like to someone that maybe says cancer isn't funny or it's like an off limit? Because sometimes people might say that about certain things that it's off limits to joke about. If someone said that to you, what might you say to them in response? Depending on my, on the setting, there would be different ways I would address this. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's say I'm on stage and I get heckled by someone because they're uncomfortable. All I can say is that I'm speaking my truths. That's all. I, and I cannot apologize for my truths. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I won't apologize for my truth. Better said, I won't. So I'm speaking my truth. I am sorry that they affect you the way they do, but I will not apologize for what I've said. You do stand up as well, or is it mostly just like acting and stage performing, like in musicals and plays and things like that? I am a stand up comic. I haven't been getting up as much because mm-hmm. I've been really focusing on this on this play that I just wrote. I did a, a set off the cuff on Tuesday, felt great. I recorded it and I was like, I'm gonna keep that one. I I like it. So I'm learning that. And this is this is a lesson that you hear a lot in comedy and it just takes a long time to get there, even if you're not trying to be a comedian, but is owning your truth, right? Even in cancer. So like in comedy, you at first you start out very superficial. Most people are like, oh, you do like set up punchline or like, oh yeah, Latinos are like this or women with cancer are like this or whatever, you know? And then it's not until you start telling like, you know what happened to me yesterday? And blah, 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 blah. It's not until you start doing that, that your comedy becomes real. You've seen her on uh, HBO, High Maintenance. Guys, come on, let's get a little energy going, guys, right now.
Was it difficult? Because you were saying with writing that it kind of came out naturally. You just started journaling. But with the stand-up, did you find, was there a little bit of a barrier to going up on stage and talking about that? It was very natural for me because I heal by by talking. Mm-hmm. And I used to joke that if it wasn't for cancer, I wouldn't be a good comic because I I grew up in a nuclear home and my parents loved me. So, so. <laughs> yeah, there's got to be something in there, right? <laughs> yeah, there's got to be something. <laughs> exactly. So I, I grew up in a nice, normal home. <laughs> so. Not always conducive for a comedian to yeah, have no, a, no, a no, normal no, not, not, not a tortured soul. Speaking of funny, so what did you find to be funny in cancer? Well, I think at first it was, we learned so many vocabulary words, right? We have all these vocabulary words. So at first, I would say things like, what flavor is your cancer? What's your flavor? Like, What's your flavor? Mine was plain vanilla. How about yeah, yours? Yeah, mine, mine, mine is salted caramel. <laughs> so, and then it's just like conversations when you have, I still to this day do not remember this happening. But, you know, when you hear a diagnosis, you do and say crazy things. So apparently when I called my, my cousin, who was like my sister, and I told her that I had cancer and I'm crying, I said through my tears, and I hate pink. I don't remember saying that, <laughs> but it's hysterical. When she told me that, she goes, you know, I was like, no, but that's pretty funny. And I hate pink. <laughs> When you have a cancer diagnosis and you tell people, there is always this reaction. It it goes from idiotic to stupid to funny. So to me, those are the the funniest ones. Can you think of any? When people say, are you going to die? I go, yes. And so are you. You're born terminal. And then. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that puts an end to that conversation. Pretty much. You're born terminal. So. Well, my favorite is when they tell me that anybody can die. Anybody can be hit by a bus. Oh, I hate that. Any minute. That's my favorite. It's so dismissive. uh, It's actually disrespectful and dismissive. It's absolutely disrespectful and dismissive. You're absolutely right. My sister in law said that to me once. And I said to her, I can't buy my wig until I have the next scan. You are planning a kitchen remodel in three years. That's yeah. the difference. Yeah. I do think that people need to be educated. And that's why I think laughter is a great way to, to not beat them over the head with a hammer. It's a great way to educate and show people's ignorance. It shouldn't be our job. And it usually is our job, the patient, to comfort you because you're uncomfortable with my situation. Yeah. And it often falls on us to do so. And it's unfair. Yeah, I totally agree. And then last one here, and this can be a yes or no question. Do you think laughter is a good form of medicine? I absolutely think that laughter is a good form of medicine. I think it is one of the best medicines out there. That's why we want to have clowns and people come and make and entertain you at the hospital. We want to have our patients entertain and bring them laughter because actually laughter does relieve endorphins and those are and those are positive hormones that that help in the healing process so it actually is scientifically proven that laughter is a medicine and therefore one of the best well you heard it here folks yes we did <laughs> thank well, you so much for being thank here you so much I really appreciate well, it thank you and please have me back anytime connor and thank you victoria for your time and we thank will. you for having this platform for women with NBC. It's very important. Thank you so much. So nice meeting you. Yeah, nice meeting you too. You take care. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Jenny Saldana's new one-woman show will be premiering on January 15th at the Triad Theater in New York City. It's called Desperate Digital Dating Diary, and you can buy your ticket at the Triad Theater's website, which we've linked in the show notes below. And now, here is our conversation with Kevin Barnes. Hi, 
Hi, my name is Kevin Barnes. I am a 72-year-old senior pickleball player, musician, retired magician, <laughs> and cancer survivor. I, I have breast cancer, and I am an advocate for the disease, trying to help other men to recognize that it exists, along with other women, because it was a woman who helped me discover mine, as is the case in many, many cases. It's usually a spouse, a friend, a mother. Thank you, ladies, for helping us to wake up. And I'm very happy to be here. Let me start back with kind of how I got my view, a lighter view of life, which has helped me through my cancer survival, both, both myself and a former wife of mine who, who died quite young, age of 47. So I really got I really got both sides of this cancer story. One, I lost a spouse that had it. And number two, I, I have it as well. But I think my, my view that, that's really helped me through this and through life started probably back when I was in the third grade. And I lived in Anaheim, California, and was going to a little school called Walt Disney Elementary School. It was just named after this guy that nobody really knew very much about. We knew Disneyland was being built, but we didn't know what it was. And one day, they, we were all taken into the cafeteria, every kid. And we were wondering what was going on. We sat there, and the doors opened up, and in comes this big man with a mustache and a happy-looking guy with a marching band behind him. And it was Walt Disney. And he said, well, good news. We've checked with your parents, and we're taking every kid to Disneyland today because I want to introduce it to you. The look on his face, the happiness that this man bestowed upon all of us has stayed with me my whole life. And he's always been a hero of mine. And, you know, he, he died of lung cancer. So he was, he was tuned into this imaginative, happy, fun kind of life, even till the very end. So I, I was greatly influenced by him. So that's, that's kind of my background of how I viewed cancer as it came into my life. As far as actually being diagnosed, the, the average age for men to get breast cancer is, is quite late. It's about 66 to 68. So it's it's not a young man's cancer. And my wife and I, after I retired from magic, this was in 2014, we've always loved and studied and practiced Zen meditation. This is something that she she got me into many years ago. This is my, my current wife. We've been married 22 years now. And we decided that we wanted to do something beneficial to us and also really interesting. So we went over to Hawaii to live in a Zen center, actually a Zen Buddhist temple, even though I'm not a Buddhist, and study Zen. And we were going to stay for five or six months. We ended up staying a year. But the point is, halfway through that, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And if you can imagine a, a better place to find out you have cancer than in a Zen center with, you know, with people who obviously love you very much and take care of you, and being in Hawaii, <laughs> where the medical folks are just excellent. I mean, they have the best surgeons in the world over there and, and the best healthcare, according to a lot of folks. So I was in a good place. And the way that they, they found it was my, my wife, I had a tiny little bump on the left breast, no big deal, went on for a while. And she finally said, you know, just get it checked out. So we were at our primary care physician's office there in Honolulu and getting ready to leave. And he said, anything else you want to talk about, Kevin? And I puffed up my chest and I said, no, I'm fine. See you later. And my wife, my wife said, oh, why don't you show my little bump on your left breast? So I did about the size of a BB. Uh, within two or three days, he had me over for a uh, mammogram, my first one ever. I've had several now. <laughs> and I got a phone call. Just, and I can remember the words exactly. A lot of breast cancer survivors do. She says, Kevin, I have a little bit of bad news. The breast mass is cancer. Fortunately, I was in surgery within 30 days, and I think that's really what has saved my life. It was, it was found to be stage one. Very fortunate. Most guys are stage three or four when we find it. We're kind of slow you know, to catch on and we have something going on. It was grade three, which is an aggressive form of cancer, so that just told us it was important to catch it early. And, uh, and, that, and that's how I found out I had it. So it's been a, a wild ride for sure, but I've never, I, I've never given in or to the thought that I was going to actually die from it, even though it was quite possible. I've always thought there's, there's something I can do, even if it's just to help other other guys. At least I'm doing something positive with, with this cancer. So that's kind of been my, my attitude.
all the way through. I've always been a writer and a musician and a, and a magician. So the first thing I did was I said, I'm going to write a song about this. And that's what started my, my play later on. I thought, why not turn this into a musical? But, but that was, that's how I dealt with this. I, I, you know, I wrote a silly song. I, I told my friends I decided just to, to live on as long as I could. I started writing it eight years ago when I was diagnosed, and it's never been produced. <laughs> they say that writing a stage musical is the hardest thing to ever get produced, and it's true. I mean, if, if you research these things, it's a very difficult thing to get anybody to look at. And particularly if it's an offbeat subject like male breast cancer, I, I haven't given up, but, but writing it was the, the part that really helped me. Writing the music, which I absolutely love. It's got, it's got 15 songs in it. Dark comedy, it's uh, three guys that have breast cancer in different stages and different ages. They're meeting in Las Vegas at the first annual male breast cancer convention. Nobody shows up. There's only three guys. So it's all about, about them. And they, one of the guys is having surgery the next morning, the young, youngest. He's scared to death. So they end up doing a mock surgery of him, a breast, uh, a mastectomy on the table, you know, so there's a lot of humor and comedy and funny things about it. But it's, yeah, anyway, I'm, it's, it's sitting there, but I, I enjoyed writing it. Dear sir, hello there. I must report as your physician that the serious condition that you have God. may kill you very soon the hell you say or cause relentless pain to bring you to your knees just stop it please there can be no guarantees i've got a life and i can't take this damn disease dear sir buzz off pal accept my most sincere apology take your oncology and go straight to hell with what you know you are my don't die. Sting inside me. Take it on the chin. There was a lump, there. a broken wing inside me. Call it an extra kin. A lump there. How the hell can anyone survive? Life is a circus. Death is a tease. Just shake up and jerk us. Flying on the high trapeze. Life is a sideshow. Death is a breeze. Wake up and work us. Fight your deadly dark disease. have asked me and you may may wonder too what how can we laugh at cancer mm -hmm. well my answer is i'm not i'm never laughing at cancer i often laugh at the absurdity that we put up with cancer or the nuttiness of talking about male breasts is totally ridiculous nobody wants to do that you know especially guys so it's there's some humor in just how uncomfortable some things make us and, and how unwilling we are to talk about them Getting to the laughter yoga. So you were referred to us by a friend of ours named Rod Ritchie. Yes. Who knows? I know him well. Yes. He pitched you as this laughing yoga instructor, <laughs> and I looked into it, and I thought it was just the most interesting thing, and I thought it'd be great to include in this episode. So I'll pass off the floor to you. But yeah, tell us about this laughter yoga, kind of how it came to be and where it is today. Okay. It, it actually originated in India, which may not be a surprise. They, all, they come up with a lot of fun stuff over there by a fellow by the name of Dr. Madan Kataria. And he, he came up with this idea, oh, we've been doing laughter yoga for 18 years. So probably 20, 22 years ago, he, as a medical doctor, wanted to, to find a way to help people feel better. So he started a little laughter club outside and they started by telling jokes and he had eight or 10 people very quickly realize that jokes won't take you very far. They're they're fun and you're and they're funny, but you're you're laughing at words and and setups and ideas as opposed to breathing properly. And laughter yoga is all about breath work when you get right down to it. It's it's loosely based on pranayama yoga, which is is breathing yoga. And that, so that's where the yoga component comes from. And the whole point is that when we're laughing, belly laughing, you know, <laughs> as opposed to <laughs> up here in the chest, wonderful things are happening. And, and science has, has shown that to be true, where the endorphins are increased, the cortisol is reduced. So there's some good science behind it. 
but it, but you really have to be breathing properly to reap the benefits of laughter yoga. My wife got me into it. She, she started it about 19, 20 years ago. I watched her go to the meetings and, and do this for a couple of years before I was brave enough to try it. <laughs> and the very first time I, I tried it, we were in a park, eight or 10 women. They were all women. Guys weren't doing this back then. And uh, they just sat in a circle. And they started laughing. And there were all these apartments around this park. And I remember looking up and people were coming out on their balconies and listening to, to this, this group laughing hysterically. And I was so embarrassed and I was, I just was petrified. I wanted to leave and they wouldn't let me go. But that, that was my first encounter. I thought, why would anybody do this? You know? And as I began to understand it, this is 18 years ago, I realized it's, it's really beneficial. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned some of the scientific chemical uh, elements, but for you, what would you say are some of the things that you noticed when you really started to pick this up and started to get more into it and not be as uncomfortable, but just got into it? What are some differences that you were noticing after doing this laughter yoga? Great question. It's as simple as just feeling better. Now, in the early days, I couldn't quite pinpoint what that was all about. But it's like exercise. You know, I, I play pickleball every day. I don't know if you know what that is. But we get out. You know, a lot of seniors do it. When I'm not hunched over like I am right now talking to you on this Zoom, but, but breathing, life just feels better. So it's it's not as complicated as... People might want to make it laughter yoga. I don't want to put you on the spot too much. So if it's, go ahead. I was just thinking that since we're all here and like you said, we have the video elements, so it's a little better. Can we do like a quick session of this kind of laughter? (laughs) Please take the reins, tell us kind of how to do it or, you know, what to do, what not to do. And it can just be quick. You were saying the sessions are usually 20 minutes for the sake of the interview. We can keep it to a little shorter. Yeah, We'll do 20 seconds. All right. (laughs) <laughs> this is actually the very first laughter yoga exercise I learned from Dr. Kataria, who's, who's the guy that actually trained us, by the way. There's another component to laughter yoga, which I, I need to mention. And number one is childlike playfulness. We talk about that a lot. You've got to be willing to feel like a, you know, a, a kid, if that's, if that's helpful in your, in your mind. We were just talking about this, Connor and I, before uh, you got on that. As children, we remember so well laughing at nothing and just having fun. Yeah, That's it. That's the key right there. You got it, Victoria. The exercise I'll show you is the very first one Dr. Kataria taught us. And it's just a simple holding up of two cups. You can have anything in there you want. A cup of coffee, a cup of soda, bourbon and seven, whatever whatever you got there. Mm. And we're going to just say, aha, as we pour one cup to the other. So we're just expelling, just... Huh. And then huh. and a little little longer, huh? huh. And huh. Huh. <laughs> now we're gonna shake it up. <laughs> now we're gonna throw it. <laughs> now, so imagine that you have 20 people in the room doing that. So it, it makes it a lot more fun because we're we're throwing it down somebody's shirt or you know, whatever. So that, that really helps to kind of make it easier for folks to not just sit there and laugh for no reason. Yeah. Although our, our motto is laughter for no reason. That's that's, that's <laughs> the whole point of it. <laughs> good motto. Thank you for doing that. All right. One last question for you. Simple question. It can be a yes or a no. But do you think laughter is a good form of medicine? Yes. There you have it. Yes. Is that an enthusiastic yes? That was perfect. Okay. The last thing I would say is just don't don't go a single day without laughing. And if it's just looking at something in your office and reminding you to laugh do it but it's kind of like if you're going to have breakfast also have have a laugh you know make it part of your day if you're going to have exercise and pickleball remember to laugh somewhere along the line well thank you so much for for being here with us kevin we really appreciate it thank you so much thanks a lot (laughs) bye-bye nice meeting you back at you okay see you again And now, here is our conversation with Elaine Price. Hi, my name is Elaine, and I have stage 4 metastatic breast cancer. 
I am ERPR positive, HER2 negative, and I have taken this experience and all the craziness and silliness of it and decided to perform stand-up comedy. So welcome to my crazy, silly NBC life. So before we get to the laughing matter, I wanted to ask you a serious question. Sure. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? And I'm not going to use the word journey because I hate that word, but <laughs> could, you tell, could you please tell us what is your cancer experience and how you're doing now? Well, my uh, roller coaster ride through hell started back in 2005. That's much better than a journey, don't you think? Uh huh. Yeah, because it's a little more succinct. Um, (laughs) In in 2005, I was in my 30s, about 37, and I just didn't feel right. And I went to my doctor and I said, I need to have a script for a mammogram. And he thought I lost my mind because he didn't feel any palpable lumps, but I pushed for it because of extreme fatigue and occasional sharp pains in my chest. But when they did the mammogram, they did in fact find the lump. And so it began with stage one. And I did the lumpectomies, radiation, chemotherapy, all that, you know what I mean? Surgery, being souffled, flambouied, all of that. And then I just returned to life. And then in 2019, my head was really hurting. I had a lot of migraines, but they didn't think that there was cause to worry. They thought it was just the nature of my job being stressful. I was in hospital case management. Then in October of 2019, my ribs spontaneously fractured in my sleep and my collarbone. So I knew it was back. I probably spent the first three months crying my face off like most people would. And I was rapidly losing the ability to walk because my metastases was basically from my skull to my knees and all the bones in between. But once I was on treatment, Ibrantz and Letrozole, I regained the ability to walk. I just decided no. (laughs) And so every day I would tell myself, not today, cancer, not today, even if I didn't feel like getting up. So I regained the ability to walk and I was walking two to three miles a day. And the PET scan showed that I was not really lighting up from the neck down anymore. But then I started having slight vertigo. And I I said I wanted a brain MRI because we hadn't done one. And that's when they found that the cancer metastasized to the dura lining of my brain. So they did a lumbar puncture and I was initially told that I was leptomeningeal. Yeah. And you know what that means? That means my ticket yes. was punched in about yes, three yes. months to six yes. months. Yes, I that, do. that was July of 2020. Cried my face off for a couple of weeks. And then I decided, no, I don't think so. So I went in and I had radiation done and my brain has been stable since. So did they find lepto or they made a mistake? Now here's the, the crazy part. They did the lumbar puncture and uh-huh. what during my telehealth appointment, my neuro-oncologist told me that he found two cells that were cancerous. Mm -hmm. So they were getting ready to schedule my surgery to put an Amaya port in my brain. Mm -hmm. He suddenly called me back in a panic and he said, I don't know how to explain this, but we re-ran your slides, 52 more stains, and Mm -hmm. the cells are abnormal, but they're not cancerous yet. So I got a reprieve. And that's when we went ahead and did the radiation to stop it in its tracks. Okay, that's good. Let's hope that this was a false positive and you'll never, ever have to think about this again. Hope not. It only slowed me down for a while. Other than that, I travel a lot. I go down to Rocky Point, Mexico to a beach house there at least four to five times a year. I've gone to Seattle. I went to Hawaii. I go to Vegas a couple times a year. Just had my big 55 still alive birthday party last weekend. (laughs) Yeah, it was my uh, celebration of life. I didn't want to wait till I was dead to have one because I can't do shots from an urn. So (laughs) you're absolutely right. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, Elaine. I love that you're still getting out there traveling. That's awesome. Next question, I guess, now that we want to get into kind of the topic of the episode here. When did comedy come into your life? Well, I've had 
metastatic breast cancer since 2019, but I've basically been a smart ass since 1967. So <laughs> I've just always tried to take anything that happens that's negative and just try to put some humor in it or sarcasm because that works wonderfully too. And I just try to keep moving forward. But I found that when you get this diagnosis, two things happen. One is people somehow, some way will either fall away from your life or if they're in your life, or even if they're not even in your life, but you just come across them, they don't mean harm, but they sometimes say the most asinine comments to you. And for me, I'm pretty blunt in like my give a fuck meter was gone. I'm now 007 that if you say a dumb shit comment to me, I'm going to say something right back. And yes, I do kind of couch it in humor, but it's also to make them think. As far as comedy goes, I kind of decided to go into that just relatively recently. I would say end of September, beginning of October, I just racked up all these experiences that I was journaling of my interactions with people. And the last one was that somebody said to me in, in a group setting, they made the comment, well, I can't eat, drink, and be married till I die like you, Elaine. <laughs> and which I looked at her, this was a friend, and I said, well, bitch, I can't do it after I'm dead. And, and that to me was like, wow, people just really don't get it or what we're up against. With that, I went on to our metastatic breast cancer Facebook page, and somebody also had commented on some stupid comments they received. And then it just kind of exploded into me sharing all these comments that people had made and my responses. And the girls were cracking up and they thought it was really funny. And then I know comics here locally. I go to their shows, free comedy shows. And Tony Visich offers a comedy course, comedy writing course. So I attended both rounds of that and I told him what my intent was. And he was all behind it. He said it was something to bring out into the open to get people to talk about it more and just to try to spread some knowledge about it, which is my goal. Because we always get hit with, oh, well, when does treatment end? Are you done with treatment? When are you going back to work? We get those kinds of comments and you're like, it ends when my heart stops. It ends when I die. There's no end to it. How do you like the my favorite? Anybody can get hit by a bus. Right, right. I could be hit by a bus tomorrow, in which I'm thinking, kind of wish you'd get hit by one right now, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and uh, occasionally I have actually said that just to make them shocked because then, then I explain, I go, look, you cannot compare some random hypothetical one in a million shot to my clinically, medically, surgically biopsied truth. The, the other thing I got was, well, have you tried coffee enemas? <laughs> I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, I heard they cure cancer. Have you done coffee enemas? And I'm like, I don't know what's worse. You think I should shove my coffee up my ass? Or that you think I'm going to tell you I shoved coffee up my ass? <laughs> if I ever do that, it's between me and my barista. You know, <laughs> it's not, uh, you know, I just it's get amazed ridiculous. at the stuff that people say to me. So it was just a compilation of silliness, like getting asked, are you bald all over? No way. You would never ask that. Were you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Are you bald all over? Men will say some wild stuff. And it's like, oh, you want to know if the carpet matches the drapes, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Because like, it's more like the ceiling matches the tile floors, if you really want to know. <laughs> So, yep. I love hearing your responses to people just saying the dumbest things. And I feel like it has to be either if it's not going to be like funny sarcasm, you're just going to get angry, you know? Well, yeah. And then again, people don't understand what metastatic means. I think it's just a lot for them to take in. They look at me and they see me doing great. And that's the that's usually what I put forth. And I do remind them, I'm like, you all only see me when I have my wig on, makeup on and stuff. It's not like I'm going to post pictures of me sitting on the toilet having blowout diarrhea or constipation. No, nobody want to see that. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what drove me into comedy writing. And um, I'm just going to run with it and see where it goes. Um, the first time 
I did this for my fellow comics. When I stood there at the mic and I told them that I had stage four metastatic breast cancer, I did get the comment, that's not funny. And I just flat out said, look, neither is divorce, breakups, getting old or being fat, but people poke fun at that too. Comics are allowed to. It's my reality. And this is how I choose to deal with it. I broke the ice with them after that. When I told them, I said, look, I've got stage four metastatic breast cancer. And that brings a whole new meaning to the phrase, I've got killer tits. (laughs) That's a good answer uh, for sure. (laughs) Yep. Just based on talking to you, I feel like you're probably pretty good at handling hecklers. Have you ever, is that a problem or you ever have to deal with that? No, because when you think about it, I mean, aside from that initial shock when people go, Oh my God. And I know they're thinking, wow, this is supposed to be funny. She can't be talking about this. Nobody's really going to want to boo me off the stage because who wants to be that guy? You know, what you do this weekend? Oh, I booed a comedian off the stage. Really? What were they talking about? Their cancer? Like who's going to boo cancer girl off the stage? You know, if they get drunk enough, you can, they can do anything, but you're right. So how many times have you already done it since, what is it, October, you said? So it hasn't been that long. How many no, I just, long? I finished my writing up all my material. And right now I've just performed like about two times for comics only. Okay. But I am set to take the stage after Thanksgiving. Tony booked me at a pizza place in Tempe where I'm going nice. to take the stage and do this. So. coming up on 2023. What are some of your goals with comedy in the new year? Well, aside from performing in the open mic nights and eventually doing longer sets with some of my friends who run comedy shows at the local bars, one of my other goals, lofty or not, is I want to eventually do a TED Talk. I want to do a TED Talk specifically on stage four metastatic breast cancer and humor. I have one last question for you. The question that we're just asking all our guests and it could be a simple answer. You don't need to go on paragraphs, but however much you want to. But do you think laughter is a good form of medicine? Right after chemo, <laughs> right after chemo and, and the chemo meds, you bet. <laughs> <laughs> that and uh, I think one of the reasons why I'm still standing three years in they always said the average is 36 months with this diagnosis. I'm 37 months in and I don't have any signs that I'm going to slow down anytime soon. I think it's my ability to flip things on its head through sarcasm and humor 
a couple of my sayings. One of them is not today, cancer, not today. And I can do this. I've always told me that. And I will find a way. Because cancer has not obviously been the only hardship in my life. I was widowed at 49, unexpectedly. I missed the boat on having kids due to ovarian tumors that were not cancerous. But even that, I parlayed that into, okay, I can't have kids, but I can go work in child abuse investigations. So I've always taken whatever event in my life occurs and found meaning. Yeah. Well, I think that's all the questions that we had for you, but thank you so much for being here, Elaine. We really appreciate it. Well, on that note, I'll just tell you, some people take life's lemons and make lemonade. But I say, fuck it. I add vodka and I do lemon drop shots. Cool. (laughs) I'm with you on that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We hope you enjoyed this special episode, which brings our fifth season to a close. From our entire team, we'd like to wish you happy holidays. This season, we hope you can share some laughs and good times with your loved ones. If you'd like to discuss this episode or any other, please join our new close Facebook group, Our NBC Life Group. This episode was produced by me, Connor Kinsley, with assistance from Victoria Goldberg. Our executive producer is Christine Benjamin, Vice President of Patient Support and Education at Share Cancer Support. You can find more episodes of Our NBC Life wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Check out our blog and full episode notes on our website at OurNBCLife.org. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at OurNBCLife. Before you go, we have a special message from Share Cancer Support that we wanted to share with you. They're starting a new podcast, which we think our listeners will be very eager to check out. Here's Megan Claire Chase to tell you a little bit more about it. On behalf of Share Cancer Support, welcome to our BC Life podcast, the podcast that dives into the nitty gritty of what you wish you knew then and what you know now about breast cancer. I'm Megan Claire Chase, a six-year breast cancer survivor and patient advocate. This podcast will have bite-sized discussions and will tackle many topics, invoking emotions from shock, fear, and anguish to feelings of hope, connection, and empowerment. Our first full episode drops on January 19th. Listen for free wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so you don't miss an episode.